turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 3. I'm going to read one verse, not a lengthy passage here, one verse, Jeremiah chapter 3. Verse 15, Jeremiah 3, verse 15. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hands. You can even keep it if you don't have one. Jeremiah 3, verse 15, starting with the word and. And I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Now, I know the context of this, and you probably, uh, if you've read it before, you know the context is primarily speaking of godly leaders in the nation of Israel. Matter of fact, if you read the verse prior, verse 14, it talks about the backsliding children and God being married to the nation of Israel. So uh, God is always using the picture and the imagery of a family. The church is a family. Israel was a family. And I know that the context here of the shepherds was that there'd be godly prophets, godly priests, godly leaders, godly kings. And it's speaking to those that had spiritual influence. But guess what, dads? You're the shepherd of your household. Did you know that? You're the shepherd of your household. God's called you. Uh, he's made you the head or the leader to be a shepherd in your family. And it's very important that we understand what the role of a shepherd looks like. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. I'm going to go through what an ancient shepherd, what their job description was, but apply it to the family. So there was, an, there was a description if you had to really tend to sheep, and God would use this analogy. And when he did, the children of Israel always knew, they knew what it meant because their history was shepherds, wasn't it? Abraham was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. They were called from tending sheep to tending people. And dads, you are now called and have been called to tend to the people and your family in your home. The Reverend Billy Graham, he said, a good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. And really, our society, as I mentioned before, the reason it's afloat is because there's still godly believers, and even within that godly believers, a smaller group of godly men and godly fathers. You realize how many people are no longer even getting married. You realize how many dads are just AWOL, what we call deadbeat dads. They're not even in the life of their families, much less shepherding. They're not even in the picture. Sad, isn't it? When we go to the correctional facility, the juvenile correctional facility, uh, 85, 90% of the kids that we see in there don't have any relationship with their fathers at all. Now, that shouldn't be the case ever in the church, but even inside the body of Christ, we have dads that are in the house, but are they really present? Good question, huh? And God wants us to not just be present. You know, a good shepherd, which Jesus is called the good shepherd, right? A good shepherd is aware of everything that's going on and is totally invested, totally dialed in, 
And so we want to look at this morning these characteristics of a shepherd. Uh, they're not all directly applicable to the, the job description of an ancient shepherd, but most of them are. Uh, and, but no matter what, we want to look at this morning when dad is a shepherd, if you're taking notes, when dad is a shepherd. What does it look like for dad to be a shepherd? Then this doesn't mean you have to go buy a staff, get dads, with a, with a hook. Although it could come in handy at times, right? You know, um, you know a long one like that. Uh, I even, I run, my wife can tell, I run with a, it's an oak thick stick. And because I've been attacked by dogs running and I run with, and I've used it too. And, um, and it, a longer one would help because it would even create more distance for me. But I would look really weird in the neighborhood uh, running with like a nine foot stick or something like that. Like, all right, this guy has lost it, you know, uh, but we, you don't have to go get a shepherd's staff, but you do want to get the word of God in your hand as the staff, and we're going to take a look at what is, what is scripturally the things that God would have us to do as fathers. Let's pray before we open up and look at these things. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that you have given us the model of what it looks like to shepherd a family. And Lord, I pray that you would anoint this message, these words, may they be your words, remove me as it were from the equation that uh, each man and each woman, child, anyone here would hear from you, Jesus. For it's in your name that I pray. Amen. So the first thing, and it's not in the verse. Again, I, the verse I'm just using as, as kind of an all-encompassing canopy that God has called us to be shepherds. So the first thing I want to uh, point out here is a godly shepherd or a father that's going to be a shepherd gets wisdom from God. Six things. So, you know, this is going to be six things, maybe five minutes each on each one. So... You can take notes, and there's a final slide. I've got they're all kind of in one place. Um, if we're saved, we have a good shepherd, don't we? We have a good shepherd. It's been well said you cannot lead well unless you know how to follow well. Isn't that true? Now, military men know this. To get up to a four-star general, a five-star general, they know they can never be good leaders unless they've also been good followers. Well, we have a great leader when it comes to being a shepherd. You know the 23rd Psalm, right? It goes like this. The first part of the chapter says, the Lord is my shepherd, right? Not somebody else's shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Dads, Jesus has to be your shepherd before you can shepherd. He has to be the one leading you. I was telling uh, when, when Tawan and I were talking about uh, his voice, I was talking about uh, earlier this week, his voice, you know, I, I said, Tawan, one of the things Jesus does is sometimes he maketh us to lie down. Isn't that good? Yeah. If you got sick and missed three days of work, sometimes it's the best thing could have happened to you. Because all of a sudden, you couldn't do something that you thought was going to be really important. I'm not talking about worship leader. I'm just saying, generally speaking, God has laid me out sometimes where I'm sick, and I, I, I got more done just be in, laying there in prayer than I would have just being busy. So when the Lord is your shepherd... He will sometimes cause you to lie down. He will sometimes cause you to get up. He will sometimes cause you to go. He will sometimes cause you to stop and hear him first. We cannot be effective shepherds and leaders until we first and foremost have the Lord shepherding us. Uh, like pastors, and again, 
I'm called to be a shepherd of a flock. Dads are, are to be, and that's the same true for me, we're to be sheep and shepherds. We're all called sheep. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Everyone in this room is a sheep. And then in certain roles, you're also called to shepherd. We're dependent on Christ to teach us to lead. If you think about real sheep, how many days can a real sheep survive with no shepherd in like a wilderness wild area? It's not going to be good. They're not, they're not that bright. Neither are we, by the way. So, uh, so they, they, need the, they need the shepherd leading them. They have to have the shepherd for survival. And a lot of, a lot of men, they get saved and you know, they go to church, but they really don't have Jesus shepherding their week, shepherding their life. And so, therefore, they have no wisdom coming to shepherd the rest of the family. We need to get our wisdom from God. And the, we, the reason we need that is he's the only place we can get wisdom from. There's no other source. that We can't create wisdom. We receive wisdom from the Lord. Many men and Christian fathers don't express that they don't need God, but their daily walk seems to express they don't need God. Does that make sense? Oh, they never say, I don't need God at all. But say, all right, so how dependent on the Lord are you? Let's look at the week. How, how, how many times were you talking to Jesus? How many times were you getting wisdom? Well, I don't need him for that because I already know that stuff. I already know all the important things. I already know how to run this, how to run that. No, no. The older I get, the more dependent I become on the Lord, not less dependent. The older you get, the more dependent you should become on Jesus, not less dependent. You become more, your eyes become more open to how flawed and unable you are to do anything. You, you really start to embrace that Jesus said, for without me, you can do nothing. And so you become more dependent. But the more dependent, dads, you become on Jesus, the more effective you'll become in shepherding, the more wisdom you'll receive. You'll receive from the Lord. You won't see things like every time something goes wrong, you won't see it like some kind of crisis. You might see God's working in this. It's not always a crisis. A matter of fact, even if it is, Jesus is still in control of those too. Amen? So he gets wisdom from God, but he has to spend time with the Lord. And what so much of this, every one of these prayers are an important component. I'll kind of uh, point that out when we get to the end. The second thing, so godly dads need to get wisdom from God for the family. Uh, he guards and protects the family. This dovetails with the first point here. Um, when we know and love the Word of God, not just know the Word of God, you can have a Bible but your Bible may not see any more use than the treadmill that has clothes hanging on it. Right? I use my treadmill, by the way. Love it. Um, but there's some equipment we bought over the years. Just like ever, you've bought certain things, you thought, we're going to get a lot of use out of this. Doesn't have to be, it could be a kitchen appliance and used it two times. And you're like, why did we ever get this thing? That infomercial, that, that infomercial did it. It was convinced us it was valuable. But hey, some things don't get much use. Your Bible should get worn out. Your Bible should get torn up. It should get marked up. It should get highlighted. It's okay to write in your Bibles, guys. 
good thing to do. Wear one out, start with another one, or just keep wearing the one that you have out. But when we know and love the Word of God, one of the things that we'll see, not only will we receive wisdom, we talked about in point one there, we'll receive wisdom from God, understanding for how to proceed through the situation, the week, the day, our life. But we'll also see, and this is really important, dangers and deception. A good shepherd could see, you know, an experienced shepherd in the Middle East, they would know the tactics of wolves. They had to deal in ancient times, they had to deal with lions, they had to deal with leopards, they had to deal with real wild animals that in the darkness can see better than we can in the light. All kinds of things. But they had to understand the enemy. The more we are close to Jesus, the more we see dangers that other people wouldn't see. And there's a lot of dangers that the world has set up traps for your kids, set up traps for your family, set up traps for you personally, temptations or things. We'll see distractions and things that may appear innocuous or innocent to others, we'll say, no, 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 that's not innocent. We're not going to go there. You protect the family. You put walls. They put walls around the city. You're putting spiritual walls around your family. Are you putting spiritual walls around your family? One of the things I told the men on Thursday night, our bottom rowers, and I, I look forward to the day when, I don't know, some of your work schedule and stuff, when we can pack it out and every guy that's able to come would come. But because I really believe that more of our men need the study we're going through with D.L. Moody on spiritual leadership, but um, Dr. Mike was there, and I know that uh, Larry and Ann aren't here this morning, but uh, Larry brought Dr. Mike, who's suffering from Parkinson's, and he was a professor of theology at Liberty University. Before that, he worked with Pastor Chuck on Costa Mesa staff, ran the children's ministry there for eight years. I don't know how old he is now, late 70s or so. Um, and he joined us, uh, and he talked about the fact that one of his daughters... Uh, um, just didn't want much to do with God. And, how it was very, and he went into a room every single night and prayed over every night for like three, what was it, like three or four years or something like that. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, one Sunday, she just started praising and lifting her hands, worshiping God. That is called protecting your family with prayer. The Bible says prayer is mighty in bringing down what? Strongholds. But it's also mighty in defending against the fiery darts of the enemy. Are you protecting your family in prayer? I was talking to the Lord this morning. I'm like, Lord, I need to even do more. I need to be more faithful in this. How about you, Dad? I mean, I, I pray for my family every single day, and yet I see the Lord saying, but you have other times a day you can even more often cover them in prayer. So more seeds of prayer, more interceding continually for our wives and our children in prayer, and that's putting, down, that's putting up those walls of protection around them. We'll see the dangers. Hey, everybody else is doing this, so it must be safe. Not true. Isn't that, isn't that the case? It doesn't matter what it... Are you looking to the world for guidance? They're on a broad road to destruction. We're not looking to them for guidance. We're looking to Jesus. In Job 1.5, uh, one of the reasons that Job was attacked is because he did do and was doing what God had called him to do. In Job 1.5, it said... He would send, speaking of what he would do as far as praying over the family, he would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Now, it not only may be, but it is the case that everyone in our family 
sins just like we do, and they battle the flesh. And so it's the role of the fathers to protect and pray for your wives. Pray. They need help. Their day is just as hard as your day. Their life is difficult. They have their own attacks to deal with. They have mental attacks, emotional, all these different things. So it's important that a godly shepherd, just like a shepherd would guard the sheep and understand the risks and understand the perils that are out there, we as fathers need to, we need to know, Lord, these are real dangers. And it means so much to me that I'm going to turn off the TV and pray for the family. I'm going to intercede. The next one. He guides and leads the family. Now, we know that ancient shepherds had to lead the sheep. Eventually, they'll get to a place where they've got to go to another place to find something to eat, find grass that uh, is going to nourish them, got to go find a water supply. Uh, even, and we see this in the Old Testament where they would move. The shepherds would have to move from place to place. And I don't even understand everything about the job. Uh, I know it's, I know it's tough uh, to be a shepherd, especially in a place like the Middle East. But we're called to guide and lead, to take the family to the places where God would have us go, that there is nourishment, that there is water, that there is sustaining. And it's very important that um, we understand that Jesus is the one, again, if we're being guided day by day, we're going to have that understanding how to guide the family. We can't effectively guide unless we're receiving from the Lord. Are we getting daily the direction of God in our own life? You know, there's some things that we do in life that aren't even wrong that God may say, that season's over. You ever had these? They're not wrong. I didn't run for six years. And then God said, Allison, why don't you start running again? Didn't run, you know, it was, but I walk more than I run because uh, uh, my bones will be happy years from now. But nevertheless, there are seasons for things. There's seasons for things, and sometimes they're neither wrong nor right. God just says, this is a different season, and I'm going to leave. He might want you to lead the family into a ministry area that you can serve together. Something like that. But we can't effectively be leading unless we're receiving, and then we're to God. Say, no, no, this is what the Lord has laid out. When you're able to explain to your wife or explain to your family, the Lord showed me this in the Word. That's different than, well, my opinion is, right? That's how, arg that's how arguments start, right? And stay going on, right? Say, no, no, I, I, I hear you. I've been praying about this for weeks, and the Lord has shown me again and again. When I share things like that with my wife, she's like, hallelujah. It's going to be okay. When your family knows that you're hearing from God, then they can trust what you're saying. But if you're saying, no, I'm really smart, I'm the smartest guy in the room, They'll still love you, but uh, <laughs> here's the thing. Um, even when you, let's say you start to fall in love with the Word of God. I tell men all the time, is that, hey, it'd be better you to read two or three verses than zero daily and get into a habit. Most of the Christian life, uh, the reason why we're called disciple, it's where we get the larger word, discipline, right? Discipline. Most guys are really disciplined when it comes to how to get raises at work. But how to become more like Jesus, not as disciplined. And Jesus says, look, seek first the kingdom of God. I prayed that earlier. This stuff is more important than your career. This stuff is more important than, of course, you shouldn't care about status or anything like that. But 
you know, we have a flesh, and sometimes we do. We have to put those things in check. But discipline is to say, Lord, these things, first things first, I'm going to spend time in your word, time in prayer. I'm going to fellowship with other men. I'm going to make time to fellowship with other men. Not say I don't have time. I'm going to make time to fellowship with other men. You can say till you're blue in the face, and you get before God one day and say, well, why did you not fellowship with other? Why were you not in any kind of men's study? Or thing? Well, I didn't have time. God said, all right, let's look at your calendar together. I believe you did. But you put other things first. But you can't guide unless you're being guided. And so we know that it's important that, uh, that we put the Lord first and we spend time in his word daily and in prayer. But you can know what to do, but then it comes down to will you actually do it? A lot of us know what to do, but does that mean we'll actually do what we're supposed to do? How many of you heard that a lot of sugar is not really good for you? Anyone heard this yet? <laughs> My wife sent me a great little, um, I think she got on Pinterest. You can get great things on Pinterest, apparently, man. Um, but it, was, it said, it said I'm, I was really going to eat healthy until this holiday came, and then another holiday came, and then Tuesday came, and then Friday came. That's generally true, right? We, we kind of know how this is. And so God says, look, I've already told you what's going to be healthy for you, spiritually speaking. Will you actually do it? Will I actually do it? Will we actually do it? We saw Wednesday, uh, if you're here for our Jonah study, Jonah knew exactly what to do, didn't he? Which way did he go? Complete 180 opposite. It wasn't like Jonah said, I wonder if this is what God wants me to do. I wonder if God wants me to go to Nineveh. He knew that's where God wanted him to go. A lot of times we know what to do, we just don't do it. We know what to do, we're not doing it. Jesus said, blessed are you if you do these things. The blessing is in the doing. The blessing is the taking the step of faith. The blessing is making that sacrifice. The blessing is saying, yes, I'm going to get up five minutes early just to pray over the family. Yes, Lord, I'm going to open the word with them. Uh, we can spend time with the Lord, and when we do, we'll be more and more likely to do the things that he says once we spend that time with him. Um, the Lord uh, showed me this um, to implement, but, uh, you know, people will say this, or I, let me say this, people will uh, might sometimes say, uh, the Lord showed me this, or the Lord showed me that, the Lord showed me I should do this, and I might say, all right, so are you going to do that? Well, I can't because, but you said the Lord showed you this, the Lord showed you that. Lord, it's time to say, Lord, because you show me, now I'm going to say, yes, Lord, I can do this with your help. You need God's help. You need God's strength. But a huge component to leadership is actually taking action. Would we all agree with that? You have to take action to be a leader. No one can, make, no one can take the action for you. You cannot lead unless you take action. Things that must be done actually have to be done. And then we can guide because the Lord is guiding us and we're able to guide. Point number four, again, all these things a shepherd would do, uh, provi provision. But in the, in the godly context, in the, in the believer, not just provision but generously. God wants to make you not just a provider but a generous provider, a generous giver 
to your family, but also beyond your family. It's sad that we have so many men in this country, as I mentioned, who father children and provide nothing. It's part of the whole abortion argument. It's not the crux of the matter, but I understand where it fits, and it does have its place in, in the larger discussion. Uh, it has no place in whether it's right or wrong, according to the Lord. It's no place in what, what a living life uh, that God has breathed into. But I do understand that there's a legitimate concern of single women, for example, who have a child and they have a guy that won't give a penny unless the government tracks him down and garnishes his wages. That's a sad commentary. It's a reality, and it's a, it's a growing reality, uh, that we have so many men that provide little to nothing. Nothing. No input, no human touch, no paycheck. But that can never be the case in the, or should never be the case in the body of Christ. And as I said, you know, when you have to have the courts enforce all this stuff, you kind of hit the point where uh, the conscience has been so seared that people don't even see their natural God-given responsibility. Now, the Bible says, as it relates to Christian men, a man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an infidel. So it, it's, a really, it's a really heavy thing if godly men don't provide for their own family. You got it. It's part of the curse, men. We got to toil with sweat. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. You say, why well, work on spreadsheets? I don't really sweat there. Well, you know, you know what I mean. It's kind of, it's that whole effort. You got to put out the effort it takes to provide. And I think that most married dads that I meet want to provide. I think, I mean, I don't know every single man in this room, but the 95% the of you that I probably know, uh, most men that I meet, especially most Christian men and saved men that I meet, want to provide for their family. I don't meet many who say, hey, I don't want to provide. I don't want to give any, I don't want to give them a penny. I just want to check out their life. And I don't really hear that from most men that, that know the Lord. And I certainly hope every believing father here wants to provide. I think the dads in this room, for the most part, most of the dads in this room will work like crazy to make ends meet. That's generally what I find with men in the Lord. They'll actually work 70 hours. They'll work to the bone to make sure that the bills are paid, the insurance bill is paid, the utility bill is paid, uh, the car is fixed, the uh, state inspection, oh my goodness, the brakes aren't good, you know, there's another 300 right there. They'll do whatever it takes to do those things. To the point they'll often focus so much on this one goal that they neglect the three above. They'll focus heavily I mean, laser-focused on paycheck, 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 paycheck. That's not a good thing, though. God's going to honor. I tell men, I've told three men this this week. I said, if your motives are godly, you can pray with confidence. If your motives are godly, you can pray with confidence. If you want to be provided for so you can have more leisure time to yourself and kind of do your own thing, you will not or should not be able to pray in confidence. But if you say, Lord, everything I do is to become more kingdom-minded, more of a shepherd for this family, you have no idea. God may blow the doors off. You finally might see God do things you've never thought were possible. But you can't. You must do this and yet not be laser-focused only on this. Does that make sense? See, great leaders balance things. Great leaders are not a single 
Think, I, I only can do, I do one thing, and that's all I do. I, I type the letter T, boom, boom. You know, I'm really good at it. I just hit it all day long. I just do that one thing. I am really good at that. No, no. Godly leaders are balanced. You look at these other three, spend time with Jesus. Then when you get to providing for the family, it's the work of the Lord flowing through you, not you striving with every single thing. If I have to work 50 jobs... No. You need, to have that, you need to have that willingness. But I really believe, spiritually speaking, God is saying, you focus on these three above, and I'll bless point four in your life. Because most dads already want to provide. They just don't want to be as close to Jesus as Jesus saying, I'm not going really, to really fix number four until you and me get really close. And I'm guiding you day by day, hour by hour. And trust me, even the last five, I, I, I've been committed to the Lord since 24 years ago, but in the last five years, Jesus pulled me closer and closer to him, and sometimes it's been really uncomfortable for me. I'll be honest, sometimes it's been really uncomfortable. I'm like, uh, I don't know how this is helping me, Lord. But you know what? I focus less on number four now, and I do a better job at number four now. Because the first three make me automatically walk out number four. I've seen dads that also provide the basics, but they also have their own pet hobbies, which sometimes become idols. And the whole family has to live with their idol or idols. Oh, it got quiet in here all of a sudden. I sound like an old-time preacher there. Oh, it got quiet in here. Some dads are not that sacrificial, and that has to change. God's calling them to be more sacrificial. They're not that sacrificial. They want for themselves, hey, I already paid the bills. I paid this, I paid that, I paid that bill, I paid that bill. Get off my back. If I want this boat or I want this or I want this, that's not, that Jesus didn't ever act like that way. Jesus never acted that way. He said he didn't have a place for his head because he laid down his life for his sheep. A godly shepherd, your hobbies are just that. They won't matter a hill of beans in heaven. They have their, they're not wrong, but if they start to rob the family, there's something wrong. Shepherds give up things for the sheep. The sheep are their focus, not their hobbies, not their new toys. They're to provide. Again, there's nothing wrong with some of those things, but they can become strongholds and issues and idols, and they can become, and kids can neglect and actually build a bitterness. Like, well, dad has time for that, but he doesn't have time for me. Speaking of time, let's take a, take a look at that. That's another really important one. He gives time with the family. You can give your kids money. Say, why? Well, I, I don't have an issue with providing. I, I, I do really well for myself. Uh, I do great. Money's not an issue. I give the Lord. I give to my family. I do whatever. You can give your kids stuff. You can give them stuff, you know, gifts, better presents than other guys are giving their wives and all that stuff. And but what your family really wants is time. Time. Jesus gave so much time to his disciples, didn't he? You know, Jesus had all the money in the world. He said, if he wanted to bring any, if he said, you know, Peter, James, and John, I'm going to lavish you with new fishing boats. Macked out fishing boats. Better than everybody else's fishing boats. You're going to get, it's a brand new car. You know, whatever, all, all of that stuff. Jesus could have done all that. 
But families need time. Your kids want time. Jesus gave a lot of time to his disciples. If we're too busy for God, that's a major pro- That's the biggest problem. If we're too busy for God, that's our first warning. But if we're too busy for God, we'll also probably be too busy to do the things that God wants us doing, investing in our families. If we're too busy for our families, we're too busy. It has to be time. It takes intentionality to invest time in your wife and kids. It takes time to invest. A lot of people are not willing to give up time. They give us something, hey, I'll write you a check, I'll get, get you off my back. But time, will you invest time? Will you stop? Well, are you willing to be, Jesus was interrupted a lot in his ministry. Are you willing to be interrupted? Uh, this is something I've had to, be, God's had to shave me. I used to not deal with interruptions as well as I do today. And I still am nowhere near where I need to be. But I, how many of you love to be interrupted when you're really, you're making progress on something? Jesus was interrupted a lot. And he would stop and he'd turn and he would engage with that person. What happens when your kids are interrupting you? Are you handling that like, okay, they're more important. Their souls are more important. Their issue, their concern. Stop what I'm doing and engage. And you have to have a cutoff. I mean, that's part of teaching them. You're leading. Say, hey, we can talk about this for five minutes, and then let's come back to this a little, little later tonight. Things like that. But that's leadership. That's teaching. But you invest in time. Take, taking five minutes is different than saying, I don't have time for that. A lot of people are told, I don't have time for you. That's what they hear. They might not have been told, I don't have time for you, because I don't have time for that. Shepherds spent an enormous amount of time with sheep, didn't they? Lots of time with the sheep. So much they smelled like the sheep. Lots of time. They didn't get tired of the flock. They accepted his interruptions. They're, and I'm reminded by the Spirit, and you need to be around the Spirit, that when we're interrupted or when there's a demand for time, Jesus would make the time. He was about to send the disciples away for a time of rest, and said the multitudes came, said he had compassion on the multitudes, and he stopped and took the time. Last thing. He girds up the family with help and encouragement. Um, help and encouragement. This is kind of the tangible things like, say, sometimes you know what the family needs at a certain time. Now, I grew up in the 70s. I was born in 1969. Uh, my childhood in the 70s, we've talked about this many times. Some of you remember. Uh, I have a few wisdom, training, and inspirational phrases that dads have offered to their kids over the generations. You might enjoy some of these. You might, you might remember hearing some of these. Um, these are timeless classics that all dads can employ, uh, but they're not all, well, you'll hear in just a second. They're not all as, they're not all from the scriptures, but you've probably heard some of these over the years, um, how we can inspire our kids. Uh, number one, the best way to double your money is to fold it and stick it in your pocket. You ever heard that one from your dad? Number two, this is a great one for dads that were handy. Measure once, cut twice. Measure twice, cut once. You ever heard that one? Here's a good one for dads. Um, they'll probably hear it this afternoon. Do you think I'm a millionaire? You know. Uh, it's Father's Day, and yet they'll be taking you out to lunch is the way it generally works. Do you think I'm a millionaire? Number four, do you think money grows on trees? You ever heard that one growing up? Number five, I'm not yelling at you. I'm helping you here.
Yelling's not the most biblical thing, but I had heard it a few times in my life uh, growing up. Number six, God gave you two ears and only one mouth for a reason, son. Ever heard that one? Um, number seven, poor planning and lack of forethought on your part is not an emergency on my part. I was supposed to have the uniform bought on Friday, right? You ever heard that? Number eight, please try to imagine how little I care. This is, a, this is a dad watching a game at that moment. Right? This is exact, I, my daughters have probably heard. I'm not saying that's a spiritual answer. I'm saying that it's probably happened here and there. Number nine, the car is not a playground. When you're driving on vacation. You know, We had a station wagon as a kid. I remember hearing that. Well, well why is there a playpen in the rear? Because it was a square. You know, That's what I thought it was like. Don't make me stop this car, number 10. You don't hear this one today in our politically correct society. Number 11, you can always walk home. But you used to hear that when I was younger. I saw it happen once. But uh, Number 12, this is a classic. I still don't understand this one. Do not turn the inside car light on while we're inside the car. You know the inside car light? My daughter sent me this little thing from Pinterest. When I was little, I thought it was illegal to press the car light button. Dads really freak out about light going on in the car. I don't. I'm like, that's back there for read. Read, do whatever you want. I'm looking this way, so I'm good. I got a rear view mirror. But if you turn the inside light on, that would actually cause a problem. Number 13, shut the door. Are you trying to air condition the whole neighborhood? <laughs> Just two more. Number 14, if you drive, this is, this is dad's advice, strong advice to potential dates. If you drive up to our house, park in the driveway, and honk the horn, you better be delivering pizza because you won't be taking out my daughter. <laughs> and I have three girls, so I like that one. Number 15, when all else fails, ask your mother. So that's uh, <laughs> number 15 there. Uh, but uh, on a serious note, dads are called to gird up the family with actual help and actual encouragement. Some of these cliches can be helpful, but for the most part, uh, God wants us to get the words that come out of our mouth from the Lord. So when we speak, we edify. You know, the, the, whole, the whole reason we have a church body is called for the edification of the saints. The words that you say, Dad, are they building up the family or tearing down the family? Are you seeing moments that are meant for you to stand in the gap? Or are you missing the gap moments? Are you filling the gaps? Um, in Malachi 4, 6... Uh, last verse of the entire Old Testament. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Dads, God wants you to knit, he wants to knit your heart to your kids and your spouse too because, again, you're shepherding the whole family. Uh, and I also want to say a word here uh, to the, the turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Some of you here don't have a dad in your life anymore. Your dad's gone on. Or maybe you've never really had much of a dad in your life. And maybe you were adopted. I don't know. There's different, different things. Uh, this is where it's incumbent upon those of us who know the Lord to become encouragers to the fatherless. It says that God in Psalm 90, in Psalm, I'm sorry, Psalm 68, 68, 5? Uh, Psalm, I think it's 68, 5. But uh, he's a father to the fatherless. And if God's a father to the fatherless, it tells us, even though I have three daughters, 
even though some of you have your own kids and you're, you're wanting to grow as a father, God wants to use the, those of us to still encourage those who don't have fathers, to help those that don't have fathers. We want to help the single moms in this church. I mean, it's a big initiative of me. Between now and the end of this year, we're going to knock a few things out of the park. I'm, we're going to do it. We have to do it. The Lord's put it on my heart. We're going to make some strides there because it's important that we not only help our own families, but we help other families. God's given us a... He cast a wider net. That's back to our original text in Jeremiah. That was about the whole nation of Israel. It wasn't just one family. I want shepherds to shepherd and fan out. So God wants to build us up, secure our own. You know, we talk about, you know, when you get on an airplane, you have to please put the mask on yourself first before you can put it on anyone else, right? Well, to some extent, we do that individually, then we do that with our family, and then we branch out and start helping other families. It's a very important thing that we not only learn to help and encourage, so your kids become those that will help and encourage. They'll actually see, say, you know, you'll, you'll be blessed when you're, you see your kids saying, you know, there was a kid at school, and they don't have a dad, and I've gotten to know them, and I've been encouraging them. Could I ever invite them over for dinner or something like that? It's not just about us. It's broadening this out that Jesus was looking. He always went to the most down-and-out people, didn't he? And so we need to have this in our own families. We need to encourage. We need... Uh, to be there for our own families, but it, God wants to extend the borders, take these borders farther out. Does your family, Dad, are you, are you aware when your family needs encouragement? You ever notice that someone just needs encouragement sometimes? Are you aware of that? Or are you so tuned in, I don't have time to think about anybody but myself? Matter of fact, when you start encouraging other people, you'll stop thinking so much about your own woes and issues. When you see that someone else needs encouragement... When they need a compliment. Sometimes people just need a compliment. Hey, you look great. You did great on that test. They need a compliment. They need your assistance with something. Your understanding. By the way, your kids and other people, they need to be comfortable around you. Are people comfortable around you? Is your own family comfortable around you? Or are they walking on eggshells? Not a good thing if they are. They should be comfortable. Um, are they being told they're loved? Hug. You know your family needs to laugh. You can't be serious all the time. You can't be joking all the time either. Can't, you know, there's balance. You can't be the 100% comedian. You can't be the nonstop, serious, everything is down. A balance. You can't help and encourage others unless you have that balance of the Lord in your own life. Um, your family will need you to be strong when the pressure's on. You know, I love special forces. The, we, the reason I love them, I talk about it all the time, is they are awesome under pressure. No one is all that impressive that is awesome with no pressure. When someone pushes your buttons, then we'll find out what's inside you. When things don't go right, then we'll find out. When things go really bad, then we'll find out. God wants to say what character has been building. And when your family sees that character in you, it's an encouragement to them that they can get through when days aren't easy, that they can overcome obstacles. There may be a crisis where you need to step in. Do you have the right spiritual maturity to step in and help with a crisis? Leave the 99 and go chase the one sometimes. It's very important. 
recapping these six things, and we just got to come to a stop here. But again, this is uh, uh, every one of these things that I mentioned earlier. The number one ingredient to them all is prayer. In this manner, if you look at any one of them, you can be talking to God about all six of these at any time. Say, Lord, I need wisdom from you. Lord, teach me how to guard and protect him. Show me things I'm not even seeing. Show me, you know, uh, show me attacks that were outside of my peripheral vision. Teach me how to guide. Show me the verses that are kind of the anchors that you want me to, to kind of meditate on for guiding. Teach me to be a more generous giver of my time to not only the family, but other people too. Help me to give time, to take interruptions. Help me to be more, more patient with interruptions. They're going to happen. And Lord, help me to gird up the family, to strengthen them. When a sheep got hurt, they were there to bind them up. Jesus bound up the wounded, didn't he? Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we just, we know your desire is to make us stronger, more effective shepherds. But Lord, we know it's not anything of us, but it's a work of your spirit. And Lord, I know that you are doing a good work in many in this room, but I also know, Lord, there's a greater work you desire to do. There is, you don't want men to be stressed out, laser-focused on just providing, but not having that communion with you. You want us to be those that build up and encourage. But, Lord, it all starts with committing to you as our good shepherd, seeking first the kingdom of God, putting you first in everything. 